Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. This is Dave Walker, and on today's special podcast, we continue our review of the Thomas Dimitrov years with the Atlanta Falcons. To help me with this task, I've invited a special guest to join me on each of these episodes as we break down the trades, free agent signings, and draft picks made in the Dimitrov era. My guest today is Alan Sturk, former writer at the Falcoholic. Alan, thanks for joining me again. Hey, it's a pleasure to be back on. Yeah, we'll have fun the first time around, and this is going to be an interesting year as we dive into the 2019 season, second to last year for Thomas Dimitrov and Dan Quinn, for that matter, uh, with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, let me set up what got us into this season. So obviously, the 2018 season was absolutely devastated by injuries. Numerous starters were out for extended periods of time during the year. Uh, several guys, such as Keanu Neal, missed the entire year. Um, and the team ended up finishing 7-9. and nine. They decided to fire uh, offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian and defensive coordinator Marquand Manuel. Dan Quinn, instead of hiring another defensive coordinator, promoted himself to defensive coordinator uh, and would take over to play calling in 2019. Uh, and arguably the, the most uh, impactful move was the Falcons hiring Dirk Cutter to be the offense coordinator. And, you know, I know we're here to talk about Thomas Dimitrov and what he did, but, Alan, I just want to get your thoughts, since we're here, about the fact that they did bring Dirk Cutter back and letting go of Steve Sarkeesian. Because if there's one thing the Falcoholic podcast is, we are definitely an anti-Dirk Cutter podcast. So what were your thoughts of them bringing back the former offensive coordinator? Let's not forget, eight days prior to them hiring him, he was fired as Tampa Bay's head coach. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's what, that was the kind of thing because you look at those Atlanta-Tampa Bay games, for the most part, Atlanta beat them convincingly. They weren't all that competitive, especially when the Falcons were really good in you know, 2016, 2017. Uh, the hire, I think, was viewed pretty underwhelming just because everything you heard about Tampa Bay, there was like this toxic organization. You know, I know people were talking about, okay, maybe Ryan will – Appreciate the familiarity, but it's just there was nothing about his experience in Tampa Bay that built any enthusiasm about him coming back. You know, people are talking about okay, maybe Ryan, you know, this moves for Matt Ryan, but I just think with the way offenses are, you see the new wave, you just see, you know, increased that motion, play action. It just it seemed like with Cutter, everything seemed very archaic, very mm-hmm. old school and I think that's what ultimately came to fruition. But you know, I, I do know people were kind of clutching on to the fact that they had that old rapport, maybe, you know, aerial attack, you know, who could forget that 2012 season. But it's just like, who really has that many fond memories of their cutter? And whether you're <laughs> for the Falcons or the Bucks, there aren't many. No. And 
honestly, uh, I think, you know, the Falcons were hoping that uh, they would reestablish the run after, you know, both 2017 and 2018. Sarkeesian did a good job of uh, uh, organizing the passing game, but the running game fell off a good bit. I don't know why you felt like Dirk Cutter was going to improve that. He never had a good running game in Atlanta, never had a good running game in Tampa. Um, you know, it's just not anything that he was in, seemed interested in. The guy uh, would apparently just uh, completely abandon the run no matter what the situation. So, yeah, I, I've, I've heard people argue that um, bringing back Dirk Cutter was what truly ended Dan Quinn's time in Atlanta, and I have a hard time disagreeing with that. I think he – absolutely tanked the offense and was a big factor. Can't dispute that. And if you, I just think at the time when that move happened, people were just so sick of Sarkeesian at this point, they're just, they wanted anything. So they were just looking for positives with Cutter. And you know, I think I got into a little bit just because I was like, okay, maybe the familiarity. And I just wanted to see Matt Ryan, you know, back to his best, but I think by what week four, like that Tennessee game, which I know we'll talk about oh. a bit. Yeah, like that Tennessee game was like the start. Was like, okay, this this has gone wrong. This is not good. And then by November, it was just like, all right, everyone's got to go. Yeah, and no one left them. That <laughs> we ran it back again, and uh, <laughs> and that's what we saw this year. So fun times. Um, all right, let's talk about the free agents. Uh, what happened in that period? Just you know, God, a little over a year ago. It seems like uh, a lifetime. Uh, as you and I were talking before we got started, Alan, one of these things, which we'll get to in a second, felt like it happened a decade ago. And it was just not even, not even two years ago at this point. Um, but the, the first thing was, uh, for the first time in a long time, the Falcons ended up using their franchise tag, and they used it on defensive tackle Grady Jarrett. Um, I, th- I can't remember the last time they used it. I think it may have been with Michael Keenan, our former punter, uh, you know, the year before he left and went to Tampa Bay. Uh, but in this case with Grady Jarrett, they, at the last second, I want to say it was the, the day before the franchise tag would have been locked in, they did work out a new deal with him. Four years, $68 million, $42.5 million guaranteed. Um, nowhere near the Aaron Donald money that some people were scared of. Um, but in my mind, a, a great value for a fantastic player. What were your thoughts on getting that deal done with arguably our best defensive player in a long time? Absolutely. had to be done. I think if I can recall, cause this is like in July, it might've been like hours. It might've been like four hours before the deadline. They got, yeah, done. it was really close. I remember like <laughs> people wondering, and I remember there's arguments. Oh, he thinks he's Aaron Donald. That's the worst one. Never like an agent. And we don't even know who his agent is, but there was like some quote that came out about him and just gives him, it gives like a stigma on the player. And I think everyone that knows great Jared, he's like one of the most likable players. He does a lot in the community. He's a great teammate. Like I've never heard a bad word about him. Like I just actually, I interviewed Jack Crawford while the same day he got the extension or he got the new deal. And Jack Crawford could have said, you know, you can never uh, put him in like a higher pedestal. Like, yeah, great Jared's just the type of player you want in your locker room, type of player you want, uh, you know, the centerpiece of your defensive line. He's just a tremendous player, you know, what he does against the run. He's really evolved as a pass rusher. So that was just a deal that had to be done because, you know, on a defense that is consistently seems to be in rebuilding mode, he's one of the true consistent difference makers. And you got to keep players that, you know, could be the centerpiece of your defense. Yeah. And I would say, you know, people who, didn't want to give him Aaron Donald money. I, I can understand that to an extent, but I think if you're looking at 
guys, uh, you know, in that defensive tackle tier. Obviously, Aaron Donald is in a tier by himself. <laughs> Basically, just separate him from everyone else. I think you can make a strong case that Grady Jarrett is in that next tier uh, underneath the Aaron Donalds. He's a guy, like you said, great against the run. Uh, you know, arguably one of our best pass rushers, uh, just devastating up the middle and uh, the most consistent, you know, and that is something this defense with no help around him for a long period of time, uh, either on the edges or next to him, he he still produces even when the other team knows no one else is going to do anything. Um, So really, really remarkable. And I, and honestly, the four year deal allows him to really get another big contract uh, at the end of this deal. Cause I think he was, 25 when he signed this one uh so he'll be 29 by the time this deal ends and he'll still have several good years in front of him so uh, a good opportunity for him to get paid yet again uh and good for him he in my mind certainly deserves it um all right the the thing we were talking about earlier before we even get into like the free agent departures and all this stuff was the matt bryant fiasco and uh, for those who don't remember, yes, this was 2019. This was what I was talking about earlier. Completely forgot that this was this season. Um, the, the previous year, in 2018, Matt Bryant missed you know, several games uh, due to injury. Giorgio Tavecchio uh, came in and basically hit every single kick while he was filling in for Matt Bryant. Uh, the team carried both of them on the roster through the remainder of the 2018 season which, to be clear, carrying two kickers on your roster is weird as hell. Uh, No one in the NFL does it, uh, except the Falcons, apparently. Um, And into the offseason, the Falcons cut Matt Bryant uh, instead of letting him compete with Tavecchio in camp. And, uh, Alan, I think Tavecchio basically had a meltdown, a mental meltdown in camp. It got so bad, they they brought in Blair Walsh at one point to come and compete. And you're right. <laughs> and I think they ultimately ended up bringing back Matt Bryant, who uh, was essentially counting towards the cap twice for the Falcons in 2019. Uh, so with that recap, um, what were your thoughts on how the, the, the Falcons organization sort of handled all that? Because it seemed like just a complete bungling of that entire situation. Yeah, because I remember, I think it was a preseason game against Washington, and then maybe they played the Jets, and – I remember Salvecchio missed a couple. It just seemed like in September there was a few things that they should have handled. It went down to the last minute. Like I don't think Matt Bryant came into like week one. And I remember Julio was kind of holding out. He didn't get his new deal until like I think the day before the Vikings game. So it was just certain things going on. Just like wow, we're talking about franchise mainstays. Matt Bryant, Julio Jones. Like what is going on right now? Like why are things you know this organization the Falcons there. No one in the past, like, they build stability. Like, you don't really see them having issues when it comes to player relations. They usually get contracts done for the most part. You don't see things go south. So, it, yeah, the Matt Bryan thing, it seemed, didn't seem like they handled it right. I know Pavecchio, I remember that Giants game on Monday night hit a few big kicks. But oh, yeah. you, know, you got to do more than a couple games to you know, prove yourself as a legitimate kicker. So, I just think going the youth route, Spit over you know, a proven legend, Matt Bryan. I know he's had hamstring issues, but it should have been an open competition. And you know, look, they showed accountability. They ate their words for it. And you know, come week one, Matt Bryan was there, even though I do think injuries definitely took its toll. But yeah, uh, yeah, that, I just, that August September, that, it's just like that preseason was so weird because it just seemed like certain positions there was is like this feeling of uncertainty, and you usually don't get that when it comes to Falcons and you know the organization itself. 
Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, it, it seems like traditionally, especially under Dimitrov, they seem to have their act together. Um, and you nailed it. It seemed like there was just a lot of this sort of nonsense and, and you know, discord that really wasn't something that even, even in the bad years with Mike Smith um, didn't seem to rear its head. Uh, one last thing they did in free agency, you just mentioned it, um, Julio Jones. Uh, it was September 12th, as a matter of fact. You were dead on, Alan, um, where Julio Jones got his new three-year deal, $66 million. Um, you know, th- this was in the wake of several other wide receivers getting that money, and, and this was a, you know, a big deal because I, I believe most of that contract was guaranteed basically assuring that Julio Jones would be here through his age 35 season. Um, and we are essentially, he's got two years left, I think at this point for, through uh, you know, 2021, 2022 being his last year. What were your thoughts on Julio getting this extension? Cause inarguably he was still one of the greatest wide receivers in the league in 2019. Oh, it just had to be done. Well, what more can you say? You know, what Julio Jones has proven. You know, I saw a stat that, you know, man, Robert Mays, Posted it. I think Julio's averaged like 102 catches and 1,500 <laughs> yards or something. Like I know he has like it was like 102 catches, made 1,585 yards over the course of his career. Like <laughs> you, it's hard to find that production. And like people could talk about touchdowns, this touchdown. I don't care. This guy's moving the chains. He's making plays. He's a defense have to count for him at all times. Like what more can you ask for from a wide receiver? I do want to point out, though, that offseason, if you remember, everyone's favorite wide receiver, Michael Thomas, got paid in August. So there was a little rumbling, like, oh, Thomas got paid. You think Julio Jones is going to get paid? I was like, Michael Thomas is getting paid. I would love to hope Julio Jones is going to get paid because uh, you know, there's right. a talent discrepancy there. Uh, I, I think people are well aware of this, uh, considering this is a few weeks after Michael Thomas's memorable showing against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers <laughs> in the divisional round. <laughs> oh, Alan, I love it, man. We're coming in here slamming Cutter. We're coming in here slamming Michael Thomas. This is what the Falcoholic podcast is about. <laughs> yes, softballs, man. You got, you got. Because <laughs> you remember that offseason, people they were getting paid. I, I think. Oh yeah, I, I do remember Thomas? Yeah, yeah, I he was in there. I, I tweet out, and this was naive of me at the time. I was wondering, like. Why do people really dislike Michael Thomas? Now, this was August 2019, and I was like, okay, he does, he flexes after every first down. Like, again, annoying, but, like, why do people really dislike Michael Thomas? And then the next, like, 16 months happened. I was like, all right, well, it makes sense now. Pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> yeah, and, I, you know, I think the comparisons between him and Julio um, were ridiculous to begin with. They're, they're completely different, you know, style of receivers, but – um, mm-hmm. Yeah, let's not even get into playoff production as you you hinted at. Um, my re- my receiver uh, played on turf toe and still managed to put up an incredible performance. Um, so yeah, anyhow, <laughs> so that is basically just you know some of the the housekeeping the Falcons did in 2019. Let's talk about some of the guys who ended up leaving the team because there's a good number of names here, and I want to get through some of these quickly but also mainstays yeah um the first one i want to start with um cornerback robert alford uh you know former second round pick brought in at the same time as desmond trufant uh he ended up signing with the cardinals what are your thoughts on uh the falcons finally deciding to move on from alford arguably the player that that the fans had truly mixed emotions about yeah you want to talk about enigma man robert alford you're either really for him or just were beyond sick of him. Uh, I was always a big fan of Robert Alford. I know the penalties became 
uh, it, it became a problem at times, particularly in my early 2016, but no one could deny his, you know, just his ability. Like, he played with a lot of intensity. He was always competing, whether he liked or not, this guy would not go down. And then more times than not, he played relatively well. I'll never forget that Rams game in the playoffs. He was making plays all over the field. I oh, thought yeah. 2017 was, like, his best season. And then it just so happened, 2018, he became a legitimate liability. Like, it was bad. You know, quarterbacks are picking him every week. I know he had, like, a hamstring issue, but I think at that point, or at that point at the time, like, he, I think he was, like, what, third? 30 years old, and they did, I, and you always heard rumblings like Quinn. And you look at the draft history, Jalen Collins, Isaiah Oliver. Like Quinn never quite saw him to be a starter, but mistakes in the draft, and then offered playing at a relatively high level. It's like okay, we gotta keep him. But I don't think Quinn ever really truly wanted him to be a starter. I think it was just more offered yeah. really proved himself, and then you know, Jalen Collins. We need to get to that, but he obviously underachieved, and Isaiah Oliver wasn't quite ready at the time, and uh, they just eventually had to move on to Oliver. But I thought he had a really good career, but obviously the timing was right because, as you, as you remember, in 2018, teams were picking up big time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And as you mentioned, he was right there. It, it's funny. It, it seems like with corners now, you know, we've always talked about the 30 wall uh, with regards to running backs, but it seems like that's starting to become a trend with cornerbacks as well, where these guys – get up to 29-30, and the performance just drops off considerably. And I think that was the case with Robert Alford. I think the next year uh, we would see that also be the case with uh, Desmond Trufant. And, you know, just unfortunate. But uh, it used to be these guys could play into their mid-30s, you know, sometimes late 30s uh, with some players. But Anton yeah. Winfield. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and some of the guys, you know, would make a, a shift over to safety uh, to, you know, extend their career. And we, we've seen that a few times. But – uh, it seems like now these guys are really sort of hitting their peak uh, and then just falling off a cliff around, you know, 30, 31 years old. So, um, all right, next player that left the team. This one was not a surprise. Still disappointing was running back Tevin Coleman. Obviously, the team had given a, an extension to Devontae Freeman. Uh, it was the writing on the wall for Coleman. Uh, they were not going to pay two running backs. Uh it just doesn't make sense in today's NFL. He ended up signing with the 49ers, which was no big surprise, uh, although not for big money. So uh, what were your thoughts on the team walking away from Tevin Coleman? He's an exciting player, but I think he's also a bit limited, as you know. He's always someone who struggled with balance, never quite someone that could carry the load. But I think people kind of took a liking to Coleman just because of his speed and just someone that he can provide that burst out of nowhere, at least that explosive play that gets you going as mm-hmm. a fan. So oh, I think that's why people had a soft spot for him. But he was never someone that I think could ever care to load or someone that was ultimately good that consistent, which is why I think he only got like a two-year, $10 million deal. So it was not a surprise to see him go. I know people really started getting behind him, you know, particularly in you know, 2016, 2017, but Ryan was on the wall. Yeah. Uh, and with the team committing to to Freeman uh, with the big money contract he got, it, it just wasn't going to work. Um, all right, a few more names. Uh, to, tight end Logan Paulson ended up signing with the Texans. No big loss there. Um, defensive end Brooks Reed, uh, who played out his entire contract with Atlanta, a rare, rare occurrence in the NFL to play your actual full contract. Uh, and it was Brooks Reed that did it. Um, he ended up also signing with the Cardinals. The Cardinals, I think – Seem to love former Falcons defensive players, you know, uh, Corey, yeah, Peters, Corey Peters, Sean Weatherspoon, um, and Roger Rob- Campbell, 
Oh, oh right, yeah. Oh my God. So you want to put John Abraham in there? You can put John Abraham. I always, I tend to forget yeah. about that just because I don't, I don't like remembering the fact that John Abraham got released. But oh, uh, you're not kidding. Yeah, the Car- Cardinals love our defensive players, which shows you they've got a scouting issue on their team. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, where Cardinal Allen might be next, who knows? <laughs> he very well might be at this point. Oh, my goodness. Um, cornerback Brian Poole, uh, who ended up signing with the Jets. Uh, defensive end Derek Shelby, uh, who ultimately was just cut, did not get signed elsewhere. And uh, defensive end slash outside linebacker Bruce Irvin signed with the Panthers. Uh, a few more names, and I'll get your thoughts on some of these names uh, uh, that have left. Uh, Andy Levitri ended up retiring, uh, our, our starting left guard. Um, and we also lost Justin Bethel, who signed with the Ravens. Ben Garland, who signed with the 49ers. Uh, Zane Beatles, who I completely forgot was on the team. And safety Jordan Dark Richards. Days. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, all right, you know, Brooks Reed, Brian Poole, Bruce Irvin, Andy Levitri, any of those names jump out to you as, oh, God, we, we really couldn't afford to, to, to lose them? Or do you feel like most of these moves made sense? Most of these moves made sense, but you're missing someone. Am I? Who am I missing? I, th- I believe Ron Schrader was released that season, too. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Uh, as a ma- yeah, you're right, because um, – Yep, thank you. He and he did not end up signing elsewhere. I think he ended up just ultimately retiring. Um, yeah. yeah, and the reason I, I bring up Ryan Sherrick is look, I thought he was one of the most consistent right tackles for, what, about four seasons? And kind of like Robert Alford, his play just fell off a cliff in 2018. Like at one point he got benched. But I'm not going to forget how good Schrader was from 2014 to 2017. And uh, I just, it's kind of like Tyson Clubble where it's just like, wow, you don't quite appreciate him, but then you just realize the longevity and just always having that player right there. It's like, okay, I could rely on him to play at a relatively high level every week. And I always had yeah. a soft for him. Like when I was covering games, he would, him and Ricardo Allen were the two guys I knew I could get an interview with. Schrader was always very. <laughs> It could be even after like I was there when they lost the Eagles and he talked about, he's like, yeah, we got whooped up front. Guys like Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, they'd be like, he was always very candid, Brian Schrader. And uh, I think when he, it wasn't surprising at least because I just think they had to move into another direction just because his play completely fell off. But, and he was like 32 years old as well. But yeah, yeah. I definitely think Ryan Schrader was someone that was one of the more underappreciated offensive line when you look at the past decade and someone look he was undrafted so kudos yep. to Dimitrov for finding him you know and Mike Smith as well so a you know, very good player you know in his prime and someone that you know wasn't a big loss given you know the fall for play but someone that should be remembered similar to Andy Levitri as well who you know was a big part of the 2016 offense yeah and I, both guys I think underrated for their contribution in 2016 I'm so glad you brought up Ryan Trader because uh uh, not an intentional uh, leaving him off the list, but uh, certainly a guy that, uh, as you mentioned, I think for a couple of years there, uh, you know, if you're a fan of advanced analytics, um, he was one of the top rated tackles, right tackles uh, by PFF for like two or three years in a row and uh, d- deserved every penny he got with that extension. It was like him, Mitchell Schwartz, Lane Johnson. Those are like the main three I always remember seeing. Yeah. And yeah. that's, that's, that's a pretty big deal. So, yeah, that's really good company to keep. And to think there was a season where he had to watch uh, Jeremy Trueblood play in front of him while he sat on the bench. 
And then Gabe Karimia. People forget Gabe Karimia oh. started out a right tackle that 2014 <laughs> season. Oh my God. And then I, I think I, I, I think maybe they gave Lamar Holmes a game, but it wasn't until like I would say October 2014. Mike Smith's like, all right, I guess we got to start him. Yeah. His first start might have been that awful London game, which I know no one wants to talk about. And then he just took it from there. Yeah. No, he, I, I remember, I think one of his first starts was against the 49ers, and he had a play where he literally went to block a guy and he fell face forward into the dirt. And I was yeah. laughing hysterically. But for the rest of the game, I remember watching him thinking, oh my God, this guy, this guy may actually be pretty good. And uh, yeah. yeah, as you mentioned, he ended up turning in a pretty good career in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, I, right. Oh, I want to mention one thing about Brooks Reed, though. Uh, he was actually Dan Quinn, or Dan Quinn, Thomas Dimitro. That was the first time I remember it was him and then I think Justin Durant. So yep. it's interesting that Brooks Reed actually finished out his contract. And, you know, he's one to make contributions. I think 2016, 17, he was like one of the key uh, rotational pieces on that defense line, but similar to a lot of other players. Like 2018, if you remember that season, it was just like, downfall for a lot of players which is why you know they went seven nine but you know there's a lot of regression that they couldn't make up for especially when you know the injuries to neil jones or Carl Allen. yeah yeah it's just way too much to compensate with the lack of depth that they had and even even with guys like demonte kz stepping up uh in that 2018 season just just too much to overcome and as you mentioned brooks reed uh was one of the first free agent signings for dan quinn and, and finished out I, like I said, it is so rare in the NFL to play through an entire contract, uh, and he did. He he did for the Falcons. So kudos to him. Uh, still in the league. Uh, so God bless him. Um, he, he just got a sack like three weeks ago. Yeah, <laughs> it's the Ravens. Him and Jack Wolfer on the D line. I was like, wow, Mike Vrabel will we'll work with pieces here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I will always like Brooks Reed. Uh, maybe not worth the money, but he was he was a good rotational guy. Um, All right, some of the guys the Falcons uh, re-signed to new deals. Quarterback Matt Schaub, who was 38 when we got him to another one-year extension. Um, Wide receiver Justin Hardy. Yeah, the legend, Matt Schaub. Uh, Wide receiver Justin Hardy, one-year deal. Uh, Offensive tackle Ty Sombreo. uh, Interesting uh, with him. I think we had him for just a one-year deal. And uh, Uh cornerback Bleedy Ray Wilson, who – uh, apparently, we only we want to keep him around forever, but only on one-year deals. Uh, this was the third year in a row where he got a one-year deal from the Falcons. You got so. to prove it. That's it. <laughs> they just make him prove it every single year. <laughs> um, any any strong feelings about the guys that the Falcons decided to keep around? Uh, they were, I guess, understandable. Obviously, Sam Braille, that was a huge question. I, I think I remember you posting it. Because it wasn't like three years, eighteen million. I'm just like, wait a second, what? What was the makings behind that? But besides that, I think everything else was straightforward. But you know, Sambrello, I think everyone had uh, pretty much thumbs down to that, just because there were just his track record was very, very suspect. Oh yeah. <laughs> Although I will say, in the light of um, the new coaching staff, Arthur Smith had him as a starter for the Titans for a good bit of this season in, in 2020. And uh, he made good use of them. So uh, we'll, well see. Well, I think that's because Lawan went down, right? Yeah, Taylor Lawan went down and, and Sombrero filled in, and he actually did mm-hmm. uh, a fairly good job. And, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, that deal was for three years, $14.25 million, uh, from Sombrero. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, kind of, kind of painful uh, <laughs> in hindsight. <laughs> 
All right. Some of the guys that they signed fresh off the street, uh, we obviously have to start with the two names, especially in what we're going to talk about in the second half when we get into the draft class. Um, The Falcons would ultimately sign two, not one, but two offensive guards. Uh, And obviously, I think this was a response to what happened um, in the 2018 season, you know, we mentioned the injuries. Andy Levitri struggled to get back on the field in 2018. Uh, you know, they, they went through sort of, you know, a rotation of guys, uh, you know, Ben Garland, Wes Schweitzer. Uh, so the two offensive guard spots were definitely an issue for the Falcons in 2018. And Thomas Dimitrov decided that he wanted to get that fixed. And he signed offensive guard, Jamon Brown, and offensive guard James Carpenter. So, Alan, we'll talk about the draft in the second half, but what were your thoughts when the Falcons went out and signed two starting guards instead of you know just going with one and one in the draft or whatnot? I think from I guess the standpoint of okay, like if you look at like that guard play, it was just it was beyond deplorable. Like it was like okay, this is not professional level. So I I think if I was looking at it from like the Mitra standpoint, it was more of okay, we're trying to get at least two adequate guys here. It's like okay, uh, they're not difference makers, but they're at least someone starting caliber because that was the whole issue. Like once Lovitri went down, you know, I was some I had never been high on Schweitzer. Garland's as fun as he is. He's like okay, he's a backup. Or, you know, he's someone that you can't really depend on. So I was like, all right, they're going to take guys that I guess are somewhat respectable. I know Carpenter came, he was the Jets, and he's like, okay, he did a decent job, and then Brown was moving around. I just think they wanted to get tougher. That was the whole thing. I think, you know, Dimitrov and Blank were talking about how, okay, they can't have it, Ryan taking a beating anymore because he took like 41 sacks or whatever. And the press conference like, okay, we got to get – you got to get bigger up front, especially because Cutter was kind of moving away from the zone blocking scheme. So that's why I think the signs are practical. It was just, okay, you're taking players that are average as best, but you know, I guess average at best is better than you know, non-league you know, caliber, which seemed to be the case in 2018. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I, I think at the time, most of us thought, okay, they're getting two big bodies um, this is a clear sign that they're going to move away from the wide zone running scheme. Of course, what they ended up doing in the draft made that also seem uh, to be the opposite case. So uh, I think this is now where we're getting to the point where uh, Thomas Dimitrov, Dan Quinn in the offense, there's not any true leadership in what they were trying to do. So you end up seeing sort of this mishmash of moves uh, for the offensive line and just sort of discombobulated in their approach. But as you mentioned, I think they were just looking for, for starters uh, to fix some of the issues. Uh, Jamon Brown got a three-year deal worth $18.75 million. Um, James Carpenter, the older of the two, got a four-year deal worth $21 million, so less in year-over-year uh, year value, but a little bit uh, more in total value. Uh, so, you know, those two guys – Obviously, Jamon Brown would last exactly one year uh, with the Falcons, and uh, James Carpenter at this point is still on the team. Uh, We'll see if that remains the case after the Falcons have to make some moves to get under the salary cap. Um, All right, some other guys that they brought in. Uh, I remember this guy's name sort of floating around uh, as a potential target in free agency. When I was kind of surprised it actually happened, Uh, and that was uh, former Kansas City Chief defensive tackle – 
uh, Alan Bailey, who signed a two-year deal worth $10.5 million. Uh, any strong thoughts about Alan Bailey and, and what he's done in his time with Falcons? I think it was like a medical concern because you remember that move happened like in, I want to say late May or early June. So like just looking at his track record, I think he had like 14 career sacks in like three years. So I was like, okay, maybe there's some intrigue here. But you know, I think for the most part, it's been pretty underwhelming. I, I know they kind of try to shift him inside on passing downs, but you know, and then you know he'll play the uh, you know, strong side in the base. But I don't know, like in terms of versatility, which is something I know Dan Quinn always loved when it came to the D-linemen, I just didn't think he made much of a difference. So it yeah. was just one of those moves. It was like, okay, they were just kind of like a plug-and-play move, but it was just like, okay, nothing substantial came out of it. Yeah, <laughs> sort of defines his time with the Falcons. Nothing, nothing substantial. Um, a few other guys I do want to highlight because he's one of my favorite players. I'm glad they brought him back, even though it was just a one-year deal. And that was defensive end Adrian Claiborne, one-year deal worth about $2 million. Oh, yeah. um, I, I, I was never happy that they let him walk to begin with, so I was glad to see him come back, even if it was just on a one-year deal. Um, they also brought in defensive, ty- defensive tackle Tyler Davison, um, running back Kenyon Barner, um, who I think Falcons fans remember for getting body slammed by uh, Matt Bosher in a kickoff return. Um, fullback. Top five moment for 2018. <laughs> <Right. laughs> oh, man, it blew up on social media too. Um, fullback Keith Smith and tight end Luke Stalker. So Claiborne, Davison, Barner, Smith, Stalker, uh, what are your thoughts on the, the remaining guys that the Falcons brought in for the 2019 season? Always love Claiborne. I think he's someone that, you know, one of those versatile linemen, like I mentioned before, Dan Quinn loves, but he's someone that he just plays with such violence. That's why and a team that kind of lacks that physical edge, I think you need someone like Claiborne. So it was great to see him back. I know uh, he actually won a Super Bowl credit to him in New England. It just did, I, don't yep. know, I guess Bill Belichick didn't really fit with him, but, you know, I was glad to see him have success because, you know, as you remember, 2016, like I think was on the third play in Seattle, he tore his peck, so he missed that Super Bowl run. Yep. So I was glad to see him get his moment, and he just always been a good guy, and I think he definitely showed flashes that year. I remember in the upset against New Orleans, he was a big part of that, him and, you know, ironically, Hack McKinley as well, and a great Jared this thing in that one. Uh, Davidson, he's been a pleasant surprise. I think he kind of dipped this year, but I remember in 2019 he showed flashes, and you know, I think he's still someone he could. He does a job, you know. He takes on blockers, you know. He does the you know the nastiest work uh, up front. Yep. Uh, besides that, um, I know Luke Thocker has become kind of a meme. I don't know why, but it's just that's the case. I think maybe he's one of Cutter's guys. I don't think he'll be back, but you know, as every now and then he'll show up somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> He'll show up 30 yards downfield and everyone's wondering what the hell's going on. Uh, <laughs> all right. Last thing I want to talk about before we get into the break and talk about the draft class, because I feel like this is arguably one of Dimitrov's best moves was October 22nd. Um, he ended up trading Mohamed Sanu to the Patriots for a second round pick. Um, the word was that, you know, at this point, the Falcon season was basically over. Uh, but the word was that, you know, they were looking to try to pick up someone like um, Austin Hooper. And I guess Dimitrov convinced them that Mohamed Sanu was, a, uh, you know, a good uh, option other than Austin Hooper. And he got a second-round pick 
from the Patriots, which I think that was the pick they ultimately ended up trading to get Hayden Hurst. Um, so what were your thoughts on the Falcons uh, in that particular move by Dimitrov to get that second round pick out of the Pats? Well, it was an absolute steal. Like just seeing the reaction on Twitter, people just like, wait, this actually happened, especially when I think Emmanuel Sanders, I think Emmanuel Sanders was for fourth rounder, like a week later, San Fran yeah. trade a fourth rounder Denver. And look, I, I love Mamas new, but I think we know same Emmanuel uh, Sanders just offers a lot more. There's a reason why Emmanuel Sanders is still playing a key role on, you know, winning teams like, you know, 49ers and now the saints. Like, he's just much more of a dynamic player. So, you know, they, it was a steal. What more can you say? Like it was just a move where I guess Belichick's love for the Rucker, for Rutgers University, uh, <laughs> they put it in because as you know, Belichick loves those Rucker players. So <laughs> he does. Uh, yeah, you know, I, 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 it was definitely. I, I think the locker room definitely was affected by because I know Sanu is very well respected, such a yeah, highly regarded yeah. player. But but considering just this, the stage, what were they like one in six, and you know. They kind of had to start moving pieces because there were a lot of players getting rumored. You know, Devontae Freeman was rumored. Vic Beasley was getting rumored. You know, by yep. that one team I think I had interest. Uh, I think McKinley also, uh, which we found that was getting. So they were trying to move players around because at this point it was kind of like a fire sale. But it's new and being the only player that actually got moved. Yeah, uh, but incredible competition for him, as you mentioned. So, mm-hmm. um, all right. Uh, we're going to talk about this 2019 draft class, a very interesting one with some interesting moves, which of course is part of the Dimitrov era. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com with over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day. Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. We're back on the Falcoholic Podcast. This is David Walker. I'm joined by Alan Sturk. We're talking about the job that Thomas Dimitrov did in the 2019 season for the Falcons. We've talked about free agency and some of the moves around that. We're going to talk now about the 2019 draft class. This was a draft class where Dimitrov made uh, three trades. And I want to just get these trades out uh, ahead of time so you guys know what happened. Uh, The first trade was with the Rams. The Falcons got their first round pick at pick 31 uh, and their sixth round pick at uh, number 203. Uh, the Rams got the Falcons' 2019 second-round pick at number 45 and their third-round pick at number 79. And we'll talk about who they used uh, that pick for in just a second. They also made a trade with the Lions. They got their fourth-round pick, which was number 111. The Lions got the Falcons' fourth-round pick, 117, and their sixth-round pick, 186. And finally, the Falcons made a trade with the Raiders. They got the Raiders' fourth-round pick at number 135. And the Raiders got uh, the Falcons' fourth-round pick at 137 and their seventh-round pick at 230. Okay, now that that's out of the way, this was a, a particularly active uh, draft for Thomas Dimitrov. You know, he's been known for trades. He likes to move up and down, uh, mainly up, but down in the later rounds when he can find the opportunity. Um, but in this draft class, we actually ended up with two first-rounders. Uh, so let's talk about that first pick at pick number 14, number 14 overall in round one out of Boston College, the Falcons took 
offensive guard Chris Lindstrom. And let me tell you, when that name came out, Alan, I don't know about you, but I was like, who? Because up until that point, I think every single draft person had the Falcons taking some defensive lineman. And, yeah. you know, there was a mix of names in there. Uh, I heard Brian Burns. Yeah, and I think he ended up going one or two picks later, as a matter of fact. Um, yeah. And when Lindstrom's name came out, I think people were like, did we seriously just draft a guard after signing two guys of free agency? Um, what were your thoughts on the pick? And what are your thoughts now that we've been able to see him for, you know, two seasons in the league? It was kind of like classic Quinn Dimitrov. Like, as you remember, Keanu Neal wasn't someone on anyone's radar when that yeah. pick happened. And then even Tack McKinley was a little bit under the radar. I know Tack was like high second round and you know, maybe borderline first, but I don't think, especially the fact they trade up for him, I don't think, I just don't remember Mox really connecting them to Tack McKinley. So I think this is like a first round where it's like, okay, uh, they're kind of just going by their rankings because I think that's something, and as we saw with AJ Terrell as well, it's just like they have their own way of valuing talent. They're not going to go by PFF or you know, some other website. Like how they assess talent and identify it that's what they're going to do i did think it was like a curious move to get a guard but at the same time it's like okay i guess they want more youth because as you know alex mack is getting older and then you know carpenter is obviously you know kind of a veteran it's just i could see why they're going with more of a youthful approach and lindstrom who's very highly regarded coming out like you looked at you know some of the metrics and just you know what people are saying i was like okay this guy guy seems like he's a pro-ready player so i guess you have to embrace it it was just you know, considering where it was and the fact that he wasn't really linked to it, I think it caught everyone by surprise. But then you realize, you know, what the kind of regime of what they've done with the first round pick in recent years. It's like, all right, well, I guess we have to be prepared for. Yeah. Uh, and for those who've complained about the, you know, the Falcons not investing in the trenches, uh, this was certainly an investment in the trenches. Uh, and I, I think you could argue, based on what we saw this year, I think, Alan, uh, it looks like Lindstrom really is going to pan out. He, he, you know, first year for a rookie is always going to be pretty tough. But in this second year, Lindstrom definitely looked the part. Uh, and, you know, it, his rookie year, he missed some games you know, due to the injury. And I think that certainly contributed. Um, this year, I think he has been – uh, arguably one of our best players on the offensive line. And that's including, you know, in the conversation, guys like Jake Matthews uh, and Alex Mack. So I think, you know, that first round pick uh, appears to have so far have worked out. Um, all right. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I just, I was, I just want to see him take like a leap. Like I think he's been good, but I think it's just where he is right now. I really like to see him. Cause I, I, cause I yeah. think Austin Hooper in an interview, he says he's like, I expect him to be the best guard in the league. It's Hooper is someone that's very, very intelligent. So I'm going to respect his opinion on that and remember that. I think he's been good, but I just want to see him kind of just elevate more, especially considering where he was. He wasn't like a late first-round pick. He was someone they put a lot of stock in. So I'm excited where he's headed. I just want to continue to see him, you know, that upward trajectory. Yeah, no, great point. I think – year three, so 2021 uh, is going to be year three for him. That's usually the year you see young guys sort of take that big leap. Uh, Certainly he was good this year, and I I think to your point, uh, we want to see him become that great offensive guard, that guy who's, you know, a 10-time pro bowler, uh, you know, makes some all-pro lists, you know, that kind of guy. Otherwise, yeah, I I think to your point where they took him in the first round, that is normally somewhat rich for an offensive guard. Hopefully he can uh, validate that level of trust the organization put in him. 
Um, hopefully Arthur Smith will uh, do something a little bit different with him. Certainly an athletic enough, I think, to be highly successful in the wide zone blocking scheme. Um, all right. Second first round pick, the one that they got in the trade at number 31, the Falcons took out of Washington offensive tackle Caleb McGarry. When they made this move, I remember saying to myself, who? <laughs> and <laughs> This was the big who. Yeah. Um, and I'll be honest, you know, this was a move that uh, a lot of people were scratching their heads. I felt like McGarry probably could have been had in the second round. Of course, the Falcons ended up giving up their third round pick to move up and make this move. Um, you know, third round pick isn't extremely expensive, but it still feels like, you know, some missed opportunities there. Um, obviously, you know, some draft capital going into this right tackle position. We talked about Ryan Schrader earlier and, and you know, his success. Uh, and right now, I think, you know, the, the, the jury is out. So what are your thoughts on this move, the pick, in uh, the player? Yeah, it seemed very aggressive. I just didn't get why did they have to go to this extent? I just think it was a case of okay, they really want someone, and they weren't going to, they were just they weren't going to say no to it. They weren't going to be held back by it. But I did think you know, they essentially said, all right, forget about day two because you, know, you look at round two and three, they had no picks in this draft class, so mm-hmm. uh, all they were in here. Uh, it just seemed very raw coming out. That was the problem, also. Like it just seemed like people talking about his arm length, slow feet. You know, I know he has like this big motor, and he's you know very. You have all those drafts adjectives that you know they're like saying oh yes he was a vicious nasty this time he does it i'm not got the wrong and i think he took legitimate strides this year first year was painful but you know i thought this year particularly you know the first two months was pretty damn good so um i still want to see more but you know i think i think people are starting to come around to it it's just you know considering you know all they gave up and you know how bad his rookie year was i can see why there's been a lot of concern but i do think he is going in the right direction, which wasn't the case, you know, 12 months ago. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I, I think the thing that uh, is also hurting him is, uh, you know, we have seen a couple of games where Matt Gono has stepped in and played and played decently. Um, we've also seen some games where Matt Gono stepped in and played and was absolutely dreadful. Uh, so, you know, I don't, I don't think that should be a, a, an indictment against McGarry one way or the other. Uh, and again, you know, this whole idea that the Falcons are investing in the trenches. Now, whether or not they grab the right guys, whether or not these guys are going to work out is a different matter. Um, but they certainly in this draft class made sure that, you know, they were trying to make some long-term fixes for this offensive line. And, and I appreciate the effort. We'll see if, you know, McGarry uh, can continue to improve and become a good player uh, on that starting uh, right side. As you mentioned, they did not – have a second or third round pick. So uh, we were able as Falcons fans to sort of, you know, only casually glance at the second and third rounds on, on, on day two, just in case they try to make some sort of move. They did not. They stayed with their day three picks and let's jump to those. Um, they had two picks in round four. Uh, so at number 111 overall out of Ohio state, they took cornerback Kendall Sheffield. And at number 135 overall, out of Charleston University, they took defensive end John Kaminsky. Um, interesting names here, Alan. And this is what's interesting to me. We, we are, obviously, this is 2021. Uh, we just got done with the 2020 season. Uh, all these guys have, have played at most you know, two years of ball. Um, and it's, in my mind, it's too early to write off any guys. But I think we can tell, at least directionally, 
where some of these guys are heading. So give me your impressions of Sheffield and Kaminsky thus far. Sheffield's kind of like on the complete opposite road of like McGarry. Like Sheffield showed promise first year, and then this past one, like it seemed like he was a liability mm-hmm. uh, on several occasions. Like teams were targeting him. I don't know it's just I don't know if it's an awareness issue or he's just not able to locate the ball. But it's just he plays like he seems to be like in decent position, and then they just fall apart. Yeah, saw that several times. Like, I remember. I think it was against Denver. It was one. It was just like Sissel. Not there, then they would get him for like 40, 50 yards. It was just bad, and it was just unfortunate because I thought he showed promise this year. But, um, it I don't know. And then you look at like his size, too. It's like that was another thing because you know, you look at you know, what Quinn values guys that are like six foot two, six foot three, long arms, but he's kind of like what five ten and kind of undersized, not very physical either. So it was a bit of a odd pick at the time, you know, even though I thought it was going to pan out, but right now just doesn't seem to be going the right direction. And Kaminsky kind of like, you know, one of those uh, I guess smaller school prospects where it's like, okay, he put up good numbers, has a really good motor, but you know, like you kind of just hope he's a rotational guy at this point. And I think he's kind of showed a little bit of promise, but I don't think he's someone that you want to see playing more than say 20, 25 snaps. He just seems to be someone you could put in there and then hopefully, you know, Plus a player too, uh, where you know, because there's times where he'll like push the pocket, like he could catch a card off guard uh, yep. with his just with just explosiveness off the snap. But I don't think he's someone you want to see him playing 35, 40 snaps. That probably means your D line just doesn't have a lot of depth, or just way too many players injured. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think you're. I like him as a rotational guy. Uh, mm-hmm. His long term potential to be, you know, a guy that gets, you know. 10 to 15 snaps uh, in relief that can slide inside. Uh, and I think if you get that out of them for a fourth-round pick uh, out of a small school, that, that's pretty good. Um, all right, two round five picks, and these, I think, uh, get pretty interesting. So number 152 overall out of Pittsburgh, they took running back Quadri Allison. And at number 172 overall out of Washington, they took cornerback Jordan Miller. Um, let me just say, I, I believe that Jordan Miller has been cut at this point. Um, and you know, that was one of the frustrating things for Falcons fans. I think during the 2020 season, even after he got done with his suspension, he just never saw the field, even with a guy like Kendall Sheffield, you know, struggling, uh, as you mentioned, uh, and, uh, you know, just a minute ago, uh, Quadri Allison, who knows? <laughs> so, uh, let's talk about the logic of these picks because especially I think with Allison, you know, Alan, there was some thought of, you know, what, what exactly is the team's thought here? What are they doing? So what were your thoughts on Allison and Miller in in the fifth round? Yeah. Also, maybe it was just like a short yardage thing because they had such major issues. 2018 converting on short yards. It got to the point. I remember it was like, it was like third one or fourth one. They would just run, Wildcat, aka Snoopcat, you know, I got mentioned that um, <laughs> they would run that to convert because like they just couldn't convert. So I was thinking, all right, maybe they're just taking someone that just for short yardage purposes. Because if you, even they obviously Coleman got released, or he, sorry, he didn't get his contract resigned, they were just thinking, okay, let's maybe just at least have one power back on the roster because you know Edo Smith's there and Freeman's Freeman, so maybe just get someone that you know, maybe you could give the ball three, four times, just make sure you get that yard. Other than that, I don't see any reasoning behind the pick. And then Miller, maybe it was just more of, let's just get younger at the corner position because it seemed like losing 
now, but I offered it and pulled it. Okay, now we're going to kind of go in a new direction. Just try to get as many young ones as possible. I remember Quinn and Dimitra really valued Kevin Carter. They were just someone like, okay, we're going to focus on corner at least in the draft. You just never know what could do to your roster. You never know when you might need it because corner is such a volatile position with injuries. So I, I got that pick. I think it's just unfortunate he never even stepped on the field. Because I remember, I think Julio talked about it in like the training camp, you know, maybe 2019 it was. Like he was working with him. He's like, yeah. So that competes, he might make a difference on his team. Yeah. On the field. Yeah, really, really frustrating. And, uh, you know, it, what can you do? In the fifth round pick, a lot of these guys ultimately flame out. So it's not uh, like he is, you know, the they exception. all can't be gray Jared. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and, you know, to be fair, who knows what Allison can do? Uh, you know, maybe he'll get a look under this new front office and, and coaching staff in 2021. Uh, he, he's, you know, certainly hasn't done anything yet. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll see. Maybe he'll get an opportunity this time around. But I, I, I certainly wouldn't bank on it at this point. Um, the Falcons' final pick was in the sixth round, and it was number 203 overall. Um, and out of Louisiana Monroe, they took running back. And I think the, the term running back here was misapplied. He's more of a wide receiver, uh, was Marcus Green, uh, who ultimately did not – I think he may have made the team. but was ultimately cut. He's, he's obviously not with the Falcons anymore. Uh, do you have any strong feelings about Marcus Green in the sixth round? I was just thinking, was he supposed to be like a returner? Yeah, I think he was going to be like a receiver slash returner. And, and they, it's weird. They had him listed as a running back, but I think everyone else had him listed as a wide receiver. Um, but yeah, I think he was intended to be uh, a long-term, app, uh, long-term answer at returner. And I think he's with the Eagles now, as a matter of fact. Oh, okay. Because oh, who was it? Maybe it was 2016. Was it Devin Fuller? Remember there was someone like uh, was supposed to be returned, and I think people were waiting like two years to see if he could actually be returning. and just never happened. Kept, yep, he kept getting injured in camp and uh, yeah. never could get healthy enough to take the field. And I think – actually, I think to that point, Alan, I think you're right. I think he uh, – I think even the same thing happened with Marcus Green. Uh, so, yeah, unfortunate for him. Yeah, it's, a, it's just they never quite got down when it came to like a gang of returner. Like some teams have their – Secure return for three, four years. I just that has not been the case since Eric Williams retired. So Eric Williams. Yeah, uh, and when we did have Andre Roberts, uh, he waited till he left the team to actually light up his <laughs> career. <laughs> that is still so bizarre because he's legit. Like I just you can't see all pro here, pro bowl here, and like he's if you watch wherever he's at, like he'll make a difference. Like he'll get his team good field position. But yeah, just somehow did not work out in Atlanta. This <laughs> wasn't with the Falcons. Um, maybe Andre Roberts is why our special teams coordinator was truly fired in 2020. They, they looked at his performance and said, you couldn't get this guy to work? What's wrong with you? Um, all right. So with that, that is the Falcons draft class. This is, you know, this one feels top heavy. And uh, I think, as you mentioned, Alan, that, you know, not having any picks on day two, uh, giving up, you know, that second and that third uh, feels like, you know, some potential missed opportunities uh, with what we talked about in free agency, what we've talked about in the draft, what's your overall assessment of the job that Dimitrov did in his second to last year with the Falcons? I think he completely botched it. When you look at it, like I, I just, you look at what they did with the draft. It's like, what was the point of the free agency? It's like, okay, maybe yeah. you could have gotten Carpenter or Brown, maybe one of them, but then you get Lindstrom and then just, 
why bring back Sombrello and then draft McGarry? It just seemed like there was so much investment in the O line, but then it became an overabundance of it because you look at the other side of the ball, the D line, it's like after 2018, it's like you're still going to try out Beasley and McKinley. I know they're two first round picks, but you already went through a full season of them underwhelming, at least maybe bringing someone that could compete with them. I know Claiborne's a good piece, but Claiborne's not someone that you want to depend on to play 40, 45 snaps. I just think they should have really invested in an edge rusher, whether it's uh, through free agency or in the draft, just put more stock in the D-line rather than just go so heavy in the O-line. So I think that's where you know the big mistake was, where it's just you know, the whole, you know, really over-rely on Vic Beasley, who we kind of knew was a marginal player. And then just, I don't know, some of the signs just it, it seemed like a complete overload. Like, you went to training camp and said, okay, Sombrero and Brown were the quote-unquote players that weren't starting the season. Yet you look at their contract, it's like, they're kind of getting paid like starters. What yeah. is going on here? Yeah. So, I, I just, I could, like, I remember seeing a quote, um, I think maybe Jeff Schultz had, like, in January, I remember Arthur Blank spoke to Quinn and Dimitri, they're like, we got to get this whole line patched up, but it's one way to get it fixed. And then it's one way to just really put too much emphasis on it. And then still, like you look at 2019, it was a disaster. And some of that was schematic, like, you know, cutters play calling for Ryan Harms way, but there were still games where, you know, the old line was a complete disaster. So yeah, this, this off season was a rough one. And there's a reason why there were consequences for it. You know, it didn't happen quite the time to where it should be, but eventually it did happen. Yeah. I, I would say the moves in this offseason are ultimately what ended up getting Dimitrov fired. Uh, as you said, the overinvestment into trying to fix those positions. And then, you know, to your point, just sort of completely whiffing on that. And the fact that you also have all that cap space tied up in those positions. Uh, and, you know, if we look at those contracts, it made it hard. You know, the Falcons had to take it on the chin where Jamon Brown was concerned when they ended up cutting him. And even with, you know, James Carpenter, uh, they're going to take it on the chin a little bit with dead money uh, if they cut him going into 2021. So, you know, the team uh, suffered some long-term consequences for those guys not working out. And again, that ultimately falls on the general manager. Uh, and to your point, Alan, and I think this is the, the thing that resonates with Falcons fans the most, all of this was done at the expense of continuing to not properly address the defensive line. Now, were they able to predict that Tap McKinley would completely, you know, fall off a cliff and, and you know, suffer all these injuries? Probably not. And, and I think you have to give your first-round picks, uh, you know, time to try to develop. But, uh, again, you know, there's just not adequate depth on that defensive line, and they didn't do much to address it. Uh, and the moves they did make, uh, especially in free agency, just seemed to be uh, disjointed with what their overall strategy was. So, yeah, I'm with you. This feels like uh, a lot of desperation out of Thomas Dimitrov in this 2019 season. Uh, it, you know, his moves just seemed like he, he was trying to do everything he could as a general manager to, to fix the offensive line. And as a, as a result, it was actually more of a disaster because he overinvested and didn't get a good return on that. So, uh, well, yeah, so. yeah, I, I'm with you. I, 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 one of his worst seasons. Because if you remember, like, the 2018, like, yeah, there were injuries, but that D-line was bad because they never quite recovered from losing Claiborne and Poe. And then you saw, like, okay, Beasley proved he just wasn't the guy. McKinley had a strong start, but then he faded. But then you just saw, like, Terrell McClain was on the field too much, and then Deidre and Sanat, who never really got a chance. Yep. Like, it was just, like, a weird 
it was just like, all right, there's not enough talent here. And then the off season's okay. They got Claiborne back, which is cool. And then, you know, Bailey and then Davison, decent rotational piece. But it's just like, who's somebody that could actually be like a difference maker? Who could actually present a challenge? It's like, okay, I know you want to invest in your first round picks, get busy and clean all these opportunities. But we used to need someone to challenge them because you saw in 2018, it got bad. And then what do you know in 2019? Like it, it was – they were on they were like a still record bad. pace at one point. <laughs> yeah, but no, they were like record breaking bad at one point. Like you remember that Houston game? Like oh yeah. They, they couldn't even they couldn't even touch Watson. And then it got to the point where they Quinn eventually Quinn not being de coordinated anymore kind of changed things a little bit. But you know, they just didn't learn their lesson from twenty eighteen, you know, defensively. You should have seen defensively how bad they were and they just didn't make any major changes, whether they put too much stock in the fact that, okay, Quinn's going to take over. He's going to fix everything. Maybe they did too much of that, but you need personnel. and They just didn't have the personnel. Yeah, and it, exactly. And ultimately, when it comes to the personnel, that falls on the general manager who, uh, as we you know talked about, this was his second to last season. Uh, and I think this offseason set him up for him losing his job the following year. Um, so, Alan, that concludes the 2019 season under Thomas Dimitrov. Why don't you remind our listeners where they can find you, what you have going on? Uh, you can find me at Alan underscore Stark. That's A-L-L-E-N underscore S-T-R-K. All right. And as for me, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at FalcoholicDW. Updates for this podcast at FalcoholicPod. And, of course, our articles daily at thefalcoholic.com. So for Alan Stark, this is Dave Walker. Thank you guys for listening in. We'll talk with you next time.